Hi there, my name is Aldo Kane. I'm an adventurer, explorer, and GS rider. I'm here chatting with Andy Dukes. Welcome to Ride and Talk, the BMW Motorrad podcast. Greetings, BMW Motorrad fans. Welcome back to Ride and Talk. It's great to have you here again. What does a life of adventure mean to you? For former Royal Marine Commando, climber, diver, extreme environment expert and BMW Motorrad UK ambassador Aldo Kane, adventure is his middle name. The former elite sniper has operated and filmed in over 100 countries, been held at gunpoint by narcos, charged by a black rhino while training anti-poaching teams, abseiled into active volcanoes and all the way down Venezuela's Angel Falls. He's even rode right across the Atlantic Ocean. Whenever he's not leading extreme expeditions into the jungle, desert or mountains, working with film crews or going undercover in seriously hostile environments for hard-hitting documentaries, the 42-year-old likes to ride BMW bikes. Like the rest of us, he was locked down earlier this year, so it was easier than usual to track him down for a chat. The audio's not the best, I'm afraid, but the inspiration level's off the scale. Enjoy. Aldo, welcome to Ride and Talk. It's a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me along. So you've had a very, very interesting life, but how would you define adventure these days? Um, adventure to me really is, is, you know, I'm privileged because I, I do it as, as part of my job. Um, adventure, I guess, is something that I class as, uh, as a, a tripper, um, that, that has a, a sort of unknown quantity to it. So its end state is unknown. Um, like for example, I rode across the Atlantic a, a couple of years ago. That to me was an adventure because we didn't know whether we were going to get from one side to the other. Um, so I guess, I guess the unknown part of it is, is quite big for me, but you know, adventure really, um, is, is anything that that involves getting for me getting outside and and getting my hands dirty whether that's on a bike whether it's mountain biking climbing running um but generally being outside outside that's the key word isn't it and of course you've had a lot of adventure throughout your life right across the globe and you are someone who strikes me as always being on the move so as you mentioned, outside, how tough has it been to be forced to stay in one place at home, basically, for such a long time during this lockdown? Um, lockdown to me hasn't been too bad. Um, I spend quite a lot of my time away around the world on on adventures and trips, um, and it's not unusual for me to come back from a trip and have five, six, seven weeks of, of doing nothing. Um, and that's generally the time I use to catch up on emails. Um, get out on my bike, get out running, training and find some sort of routine. So this lockdown period for me really has been um it, it's it's been at quite a good time for, for getting things done. Um and it's only been in the last uh sort of couple of weeks that, that I've actually started thinking, right, what do we do now? Um when when are we going to get out? Yeah, probably the same for everybody, I should imagine. Now, of course, you joined the Royal Marines at just 16 years old, and it's one of the hardest and longest infantry training regimes in the world. Did did you go looking for adventure right from a young age? I, yeah, I, I guess I did. I went, I went, you know, I, um, I joined the Marines at 16, but I sort of already knew for two or three years before that, that I was going to join up. Um, so I guess from the age of 12, I was seeking that adventure. And before that, I was in the scouts and in the cubs. Sorry. Um, 
So I was able to, you know, I, I was doing a lot of that stuff anyway. I was outside, I was hill walking, I was climbing, I was canoeing, I was map reading, navigating. Um, and so really it was kind of like the next step on from the scouts was, was to join the Marines. And, you know, that, that kind of, actually it was from the scouts really that it cemented my love of the outdoors, my love of adventure and, and just generally being outside and, and, and working. Now, in your professional career, you've deployed into some of the most hostile environments on Earth during your time in the Marines, especially. How do you get your mindset right for operations, for example, in the desert, in the jungle, up in the mountains, or even in the city? Um, with the with the Marines, you, you I mean you're trained, you're you're a, a commando soldier, um, and you're trained in all of these environments. You're trained with the physical aspects of being in Norway in the Arctic, in Brunei, for example, in, in Malaysia and Borneo in the jungle. Um, so they teach you the, the physical parts of how to operate, how to fight in these climates. Um, so it's not just about surviving in the desert, it's about thriving and fighting in the desert. Um, and so you do, after quite a short period of time in the Marines, you do become an expert at operating in all of these environments. Um, and then you just continually rotate through each environment to stay current and to stay active in that, that, that sort of environment. Um, and, and that's, you know, going on from there, that's, that's pretty much what I've used as that skill set, that knowledge to take into the sort of work I do now. Um, but actually it's, it's, you know, to answer your question, the mindset part of it is, is as much as the physical part of it. Operating in the jungle is hard work physically. There's no doubt about that. But mentally, it takes a lot to be grafting through a long 12-hour day, um, you know, when there's hardly any water to be drinking. You're either on patrol or you're on expedition, um, and it's hot, it's sticky, it's, you know, everything wants to sting you or bite you, um, and you, you're basically rotting away. Um, so a lot of the jobs that I do, especially now, you know, it's, it's much more about mindset and being comfortable with being uncomfortable or comfort and chaos really different levels of it absolutely and, and as you said you've, you've now returned to some of those regions as a high high risk advisor not sure how you describe it but high risk advisor for film and tv it is a great way to use your skill sets how did that actually come about in the first place that's it we i i left the marines you know i joined at 16 i left at 25 26 so by the time i was yeah by the time i was that age i'd already done 10 years in the military i'd been to war i'd become an expert at, at surviving and, and fighting in all the different environments and when i first left I, I kind of followed a line of work that wasn't really my passion it was it was more of a stopgap so i kind of went offshore um oil and gas industry and, and really i was kind of highly unsatisfied with it and you know i felt like it definitely wasn't my my calling as it were um and it was, it was some years later, maybe four or five years later that I was asked if I could come and, um, help a, a friend get a BBC film crew inside an active volcano in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that was my first, that was 11 years ago now. And that was my first introduction into the world of television. Um, and that's when the penny dropped. It was like, ah, so all of those years of training that I did before plus anything that I can add on to it now um, 
then that then it's going to sort of allow me to push into this new world of, of television and film. And that's right. That's that's what I do now. I'm I'm a high risk advisor. So um, if you're watching something on on TV and it's Abseiling down a huge cliff, then it's me or someone like me that, that's rigged the ropes, checked it safe, tested it, um, and then the, the television person would do that. So that's pretty much how I've been keeping busy over the last 10, 11 years now. Yeah, I saw you, uh, saw you abseiling or, or at least taking, taking a crew in, inside that huge volcano in the uh, Congo. And it just made me think that it's a completely different. Uh, Again, we talk about mindsets, but you were there sort of completely responsible for everybody else's safety, those scientists. And uh, and I just felt like it's it's not like having your teammates there where everybody knows what they were doing. You seem to almost be a little bit on your own uh, and having to really sort of hold these people's hands as they were abseiling down to sort of stage one, stage two and stage three. And, and I wondered if you actually enjoyed that kind of role because it, it still comes with a potentially massive amount of danger and risk attached. But it's different kind of danger, isn't it? It's it's other people's lives, I guess. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that is part and parcel of the, the job. You know, it's, I'm a technical advisor. I'm you know, I'm not a sort of clipboard and high vis best guy. Um, I'm I'm out there on the ground. You know, whether it's dealing with narcos and and you know people down in, in South America, drug runners and, and smugglers down in South America, whether it's wild animals whether it's smuggling rings or whether it's into like you say into active volcanoes um you know a lot of the time the crews that we're working with the film crews certainly are, are some of the most swept up up to speed people in in the world of adventure um you know they are having to survive and thrive in these hostile extreme and remote environments but they're also having to keep their kit alive their cameras their lenses um, and their sound kits. So they are, they're really the, the true unsung heroes. And those guys, um, we don't tend to have to worry too much about because they're pretty experienced. Um, on the other hand, we, we work a lot with scientists and, um, and they're much more lone wolf used to working on their own and, and they'll, they'll head off and do their own thing. So it's, it's part of the challenge that I, I like about the job, you know, I work with so many different, very highly skilled people from scientists to film crews to, um, to subject matter experts. And, um, and that's why I love it so much. You know, I'm learning. Yes, I'm responsible for everyone's safety, but, you know, we're, we're privileged to be doing it in some of the most extreme, wonderful, beautiful places on the planet. Where would you say, uh, uh, for example, the top three most or inspiring places that you film then? Wow. That is a good question. Um, in the last couple of years, I would say Niragongo Volcano has to be up there. That's a big one, uh, that we filmed in, um, uh, in the Congo. Um, that's definitely up there. Uh, we also did an expedition in Suriname in, uh, South America, which is just beautiful, un, un sort of charted, uh, wilderness of, of primary rainforest, um, part of the Amazon. Um, so that was, also amazing and probably Bhutan. Bhutan is also one of the most amazing countries that I think I've ever been to. But I mean that's a it's a tough question that Yeah, there's there's a lot of amazing places out there and, and when you start to understand when or at least when I've started to understood um how 
difficult it is to film in some of these places, you also understand why the credits are so long at the end of some of these documentaries and movies because there's so many people involved in these extreme remote high-risk environments, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, a, a crew, it depends on what level of, of filming you're doing. Recently, I, I did a series of World First Expeditions with Steve Backshaw, and that crew is very small. It's Steve and I plus a camera, a sound, um, a producer, director, um, and, and a local fixer. That's really it. Um, so they are really small. And then on other big, huge productions that I've worked on, um, you can have a hundred people on the side of a volcano. Um, and that's when really, that's when I start to earn my money. I've got to be, you know, I've got to be looking after the huge amounts of people. Um, and you know, if someone trips in one of these places, it's not often that easy to get them out or to, to get them. Um, medivac from there so it's it's much more about prevention than, than anything else absolutely but uh yeah we can we end we can end up with, with huge amounts of people on the ground yeah so outside of being a professional soldier of course what would you say has been the toughest thing you've ever done sort of mentally and physically um i think one of well, I, I i would say probably in recent times the the row we rode across the atlantic team ethnic there's five of us in a rowing boat that was about six and a half, seven meters long. Um, and we rowed from um, Portugal um, all the way across the Atlantic down to Venezuela. So uh, one of the longest routes across the Atlantic. And uh, and we rowed into the Guinness Book of Records. We were the first team ever to, to row from mainland Europe to mainland South America. And... Um, it took us fifty days and ten hours. Wow! Uh, so it was it was pretty. I have to say it was it's pretty tough. You know, you get in the boat and you row for two hours, and then you're off for two hours, and then you row for two hours, and you do that for almost two months. I'm just looking at my uh, world map at the moment, and it is definitely not a straight line, is it? <laughs> yes, it's not. You um you sort of head out from Portugal and you head south. Um, and then you're down to the Canaries and then you're further south off the coast of Africa down to Cape Verde. Um, and then you're kind of all the way out and then across into, into, I guess, South America area and to Venezuela. Um, but that was, that was hard mentally because it was, you know, it's such, it's such a daily grind. You're doing like two hours on, two hours off. Everything looks the same. It's quite cold. Um, at times we capsized at night a couple of times and, and it can be quite, quite terrifying. And, um, you know, I, it, it, it was just one of those things. I mean, in the true sense of the word, it was an adventure because we didn't have any idea what the outcome would be. We didn't know whether we'd get to the other side or not, or if we'd end up being rescued or capsized or killed or lost at sea. Um, so yeah, going back to the very first question. That's probably the distilled answer of, of what adventure yeah. is. Yeah. How did you, how on earth did you get anyone to agree to do that with you? I mean, how did you dream up the idea of that trip then? Um, in the pub, we're all good <laughs> ideas stop. We, uh, we, we were planning on five mates and we, we wanted to do something that was, um, hardcore, hard work, test us and also that we could raise money. We ended up raising quite a lot of money for the NSPCC. Um, I think it was over a couple of hundred grand, actually. So, so we did raise quite a lot of money for the hardship, which is actually 
what it was all about, really. Brilliant. Yeah, that's National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children for our international listeners. I also read somewhere you were shut in a nuclear bunker for about 10 days as part of a science experiment. That must have been hard mentally. Yeah, I was. Um, it was part of a BBC Horizon experiment called um, Body Clock. And it was really an experiment to test, um, not to test, but to understand what happened to your circadian rhythm or your, your natural body clock when you were removed from daylight. So I was locked in a nuclear bunker for 10 days, um, underground in the dark on my own. Um, didn't speak to anyone for the entire time that I was down there. Um, didn't have any reference to time, so I had no technology, no phone, no tablet, no laptop. Um, and really that, that was it. I was, I was my own master for 10 days. And really the, I guess the, the point of it was to see what happened to my sleep patterns, which obviously and understandably went completely out of sync because I, I wasn't resetting my circadian rhythm with daylight every day. But the big takeout for me, which is helping me as well with lockdown here, is that um, I realized that without exercise, without daylight and without human interaction, then um, I would feel like my mental health was was not in the best shape. Um, And having done that experiment, it just makes me appreciate Again, being outdoors, being on adventures, traveling, um, and even just in the UK, you know, that experiment was in the UK and you've never seen so many green trees or, or fields, you know, once you, when you've been in a dark hole for 10 days and you come out, it's just like you can see the matrix of, of the wildlife and the, and the trees. It's amazing. I totally get that. Even if you've been traveling in um, certain parts of the world and you come back to somewhere like Europe, the the vividness of the green when everyone everywhere else has been brown for such a long time is it, it's the contrast isn't it you know it's it's just appreciating the the small things in life the natural things in life exactly yeah exactly but of course you've been in plenty of dangerous situations held at gunpoint charged by rhinos as you said abseiling into active volcanoes but what would you say you fear the most would it be people animals or nature um yeah, it's a good one. The most dodgy situations that we've had really are, are when we're dealing with with people. When we were filming Narcos Inside the Real Drug Lords with Foxy, Jason Fox, we had quite a few scrapes there, understandably. Um, we filmed three months on and off in Peru, Colombia and Mexico. Um, and yeah, I would definitely say when you're dealing with, with Narcos and Drug traffickers, you know, that's, you know, who are all carrying weapons and all a bit on edge, then, then that's, that is a pretty dangerous situation to be in or a dangerous combination. Wild animals, um, you know, I've had a, a couple of run-ins, but they've really, we've been in their territory and it's, it's, you know, I'm usually always with an expert that understands and knows that animal. So it's, um, so it's never actually that bad. So I would, I would definitely say the, the worst is, when you have to deal with people. Yeah, yeah. Well, put people and wild animals together and the combinations could be quite shocking too. I think everyone's been <laughs> yeah, yeah. everyone's been watching and talking about that Tiger King program on Netflix, but you've recently been filming Undercover, haven't you? Tracking down tiger farmers in Asia. Was that a bit of an eye-opener? Yeah, that was that was a huge issue. You know, we wanted to make a hard-hitting 
um, documentary film about conservation and about wildlife trafficking. And um, once we started looking into the, the situation with tigers, um, it just became apparent that you know, we don't have time to be, um, you know, to be not telling this story. And you know, effectively, you know, in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, um, and China, they farm tigers um, and they then kill them and they turn them into either glue or wine. Um, and they, you know, they're, they're to the tune of about eight thousand tigers. Now there are only four thousand tigers in the wild, so the more you know, the more demand for tiger products due to these farmed tigers, then the more wild tigers are being um, persecuted and, and uh, made extinct, basically, and poached. So um, the, the whole basis of the, the film was, and, and the guys that we worked with, the undercover um, detectives that we were working with in the countries, was, was to find out who is who is farming them. And, you know, it's illegal to farm them also. Um, and why is that being allowed? Um, and so yeah, it was it was hugely eye opening and, and fairly dangerous as well. You know, there's no backup. I'm working with a director and, and a producer on the ground, and, and that's it. Now, of all the places that you've seen and you visited, what would you say is your favourite country? I mean, is there anywhere else that you could put down roots? Oh, um, I think. Hmm. I think my favourite place in the world is probably Glencoe up in uh, up in Scotland. Um, uh, I don't know, you know. Every time I travel, I, I, I you know, I, I just really enjoy coming back to the UK. I, I, you know, I really do like the country that I live yeah, in. Yeah, no place like um, home. Although ha- having said, in no place like home. Having said that, though, I could easily live in in Crete or somewhere nice and warm. Yeah, beautiful sea. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I was in New Zealand uh, in February at the GS Trophy, and actually it reminded me a lot of the highlands of Scotland in a lot of places, just with slightly better weather. But Glencoe around there, the A82, I think it is one of the best uh, motorcycling roads in the area, isn't it? So I just wanted to talk to you about motorcycling. What got you into that in the first place? Well, I suppose it was joining the the Marines. You know, you've got a thousand young lads living in one camp. and they're all between the ages of 17, 18, up to 30 odd. Um, so it's inevitable that you get your first introduction into to motorbikes fairly young. Um, and so that was, that was probably it. I still remember the first ride of being on the back of someone's, um, motorbike going, um, quite fast up the road from Taunton back up to Scotland, um, on one leaf. But, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what got me into to biking. Obviously did my test. Not long after that, um, and uh, and then the first time actually that I got uh, sort of an introduction into it being a, an adventure tool, as I call it, other than than just being a mode of transport, was I was in South America leading an expedition in two thousand and four, I think it was, down in Bolivia, and um, I had a load of uh, young people with me from the UK. You know, we we're doing a, a five six week expedition down there and uh, i met this this guy who was traveling up through south america and he was on a gs um and so that was the first time i had seen one and it was all decked out with all of his panniers and his his luggage um and his bags and it looked battered and bruised and he had had such an amazing trip uh, we sat and 
had a chat overnight over a fire and then the next day he took me out on the back of it across the salt pans in um down in Salab the Ionai. Um down near where Butch Cast yeah. Sundance kid got shot out and amazing and, uh, place to take pictures. He yeah. went across Oh gorgeous and, and we, you know, I spent a couple of hours on the back of his bike and uh I just thought this is unbelievable. This is this is perfect. So you can travel, adventure, and you can be on a motorbike. It just like it was the perfect, perfect solution. It was really. a light bulb moment. <laughs> it literally was a light bulb moment, and you know, from then on, it was like God. One day, I need to have a GS. And you, you've been riding an F eight fifty GS Adventure recently. That's that's one hell of a versatile bike, isn't it? It's 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 brilliant. I did. Um, uh, just last year, I felt like I was getting a bit lazy, so I decided to do the Three Peaks race in, uh, not race, but um, Three Peaks, so the highest peak in Scotland and uh, Wales and England, or England and Wales, so it's Ben Nevis, Staff Pike, and then down to Snowdon. Um, and usually you do that in 24 hours, and so I did that on the GS, actually. Um, and so yeah, I, it was just like, I, I just thought like it's a perfect combination of I love exercising, training, putting myself through the ringer um, and also love riding. So and I'd never done the three peaks before. It didn't really appeal to me doing it in a van or, or you know, sort of um, that way. So I thought this is probably the perfect way to see it and to ride some of my favorite roads in the UK. A few of my friends have done it, and they've they've taken the option of doing it in the van. So you normally have a driver with you, so you do the up and down the mountains as soon as you can, and then you get your head down in the van and have a sleep for all of the uh, driving because the driving is pretty grueling, isn't it? And there's a lot of it. Yeah, it was. It was like I thought it would have been sort of the rest part of it, but the riding between Ben Nevis and Scaffell Pike, and then the riding between Scaffell Pike and Snowden was actually the hardest part of the of doing three peaks, and the point was was to do it in less than twenty four hours. Um, but I found it, you know, the running part of it was was all right, but being on the bike and and uh, was yeah, it was, it was hard. But, I mean, that's that's kind of what I do for my job. It's what I do in my life is that you know I'm pushing myself to extremes all the time, and um, and that was it was it was just a it was just a great example of having. A proper good adventure in the UK using the bike, using my skills, using navigation, you know, use, getting some fitness in as well. Um, and actually, like talking about it now, it's kind of making me, yeah, I want to get back out. I can't wait for lockdown to, to uh, end and then get back out and get back traveling around the UK. Actually, I spend so much of my time out of, out of the UK that I'm quite looking forward to a time when, you know, I'm not going to be allowed to travel out of the UK and, you know, it's back to exploring. Yeah. Back to exploring the yeah, there's, there's a lot of people in that boat, I can tell you. Of course, the, that that GSA, it's a great on-road bike, as you, as you discovered, sort of doing the three peaks, but it's also got superb uh, off-road qualities too. I heard that you um, competed in the GS Trophy qualifier last year. Is that right? <laughs> I did. Um, I was not very good at it. Actually, I'm supposed to be on the off-road skills part one this weekend coming up. Um, but gutted, obviously, that that's, that's not happening now. So I'm going to have to wait. Um, but yeah, I didn't do very well at all at that. That's, it's, it's number one on my list is to get better at the off-road riding part of it because then that then truly does open up 
adventure um, all across the world, really. Um, I also went down to Bavaria last year, um, down to BMW Motorrad Days, and uh, just just riding down through the Alps on that thing, you know, it was it was amazing. But I kind of also wanted to do quite a lot more off road. But again, it's it's kind of out of my skill level at the minute. I need to get on that course as soon as uh, as soon as this lockdown lifts. Yeah, I'd thoroughly recommend that course with uh, Simon Pavey and the boys. It is it is incredible how much you can pick up in a couple of days, and of course, all of that also translates back through to your on road riding as well. So you benefit in in plenty of ways. But yeah, I'd heard you've been down to BMW Motrad days. How did you enjoy the uh, Garmisch Partenkirchen experience? Yeah, I loved it. My um, my twin brother lives down there, so I managed to tie in with, with catching up with him. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just it was amazing. I I'd never obviously I'd never been to it before, um, but to see all the different events that were going on down there um, and the amount of bikes, I was just absolutely blown away with the amount of bikes. But but ultimately, you know, I was I was the worst rider in the group of us that went down, so I was continually learning, which is what I love. You know, I don't profess to be an expert in, in anything I'm doing. And I, I just love that, being able to learn and to be able to pick people's brains. And that's pretty much what I did for the whole weekend, as well as drinking beer. and. Um, yeah, well, it's a, it's a fantastic international riding community, isn't it, down there? I mean, they they, they descend on, on Bavaria from all across Europe and, and far beyond as well. And that, that ride down to Bavaria, certainly... You know, the second day is it's just stunning down through the Alps. It's, it's probably one of the most beautiful rides, um, yeah, that, I, that I've done for sure. So now you've got an R1250 GSA to look forward to. What particularly interests you about this bike then? Um, for me, basically, it's, um, it's obviously a bit more power. It's just something that, you know, I've, I've never had one before. So, um, I think for me, I just wanted to get a hold of that. And, and really it was, you know, it was to get on to doing the, the more off-roady stuff um, and then a bit more touring, um, which is what I've had planned for this summer to do the, the off-road course and then do a bit of touring down through um, France and Europe. But obviously that's all on hold at the minute. Yeah, it's on hold, but don't, you know, just just keep it on hold because it, it, it will happen and things will change. So, you know, when, when life returns to a new normal, what, what are you looking forward to most then? Well, I have been lucky, actually. I have been able to get out um, and do a little bit of riding. I volunteered. I volunteer with um, a disaster relief company called Rubicon, um, a team Rubicon, and, and they they provide, um, you know, people like me, they call them grey shirts, but they provide people that can help in disaster areas, usually around the world. Um, but with COVID-19 affecting so many people in the UK, they've, they've had to bring their operations and, and start helping out frontline services. So they've teamed up with the bike shed here in Shoreditch. Um, and so I've managed to get out. They've got this um, a volunteer uh, rider service, basically. So you, you, can, you can sign up and you can help the, the, the COVID issues by delivering PPE. And um, so I've, I've signed up. So I've been out on a um, couple of trips delivering um, things for them. So it's, it's actually been, been really good to be sort of getting involved in volunteering and becoming, I suppose, part of the solution and not part of the problem. Absolutely. And, and when, this, um, when things move on, when we're all able to move around again safely, have you got any exciting projects coming up? 
Yeah, we're um we were in the middle of filming actually down in South Sudan just before this this happened and we got pulled back. So I would imagine we might end up heading back down there. Um and uh, yeah, I've actually got the summer as it was standing was was going to be heading down to Gabon, um and also down to Namibia. But uh, like you know, when this when this happened, all of my trips immediately were cancelled. So I'm. I'm kind of in the same boat as everyone else. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what happens and what the fallout really is. And, and maybe it's time to get back to basics and get back to exploring the UK. We've got, you know, one of the, one of the most adventurous countries uh, by my standards, certainly for exploring. And, you know, I'm quite excited about getting on the bike and heading down to Cornwall, getting on the bike and heading up to Scotland, Northwest 500. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting times. Yeah, well, I mean, one benefit of it for us, at least, is we've been able to track you down. That would have been impossible had there not been a lockdown. So uh, we're out of time now. But thank, thanks ever so much for being a guest on Ride and Talk. It's been great hearing your stories. And we hope you enjoy the 1250 GS adventure when the time comes to ride again. Cheers, Aldo. Cheers. Thanks very much, Andy. Appreciate that. So now you know who to call if you want to know how to survive in extreme locations. Interesting that all of the places in the world Aldo's been to, he still thinks that Scotland is one of the best places to ride. I must get up there more often on the bike. Thanks Aldo, and thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back very soon with the next episode of Ride and Talk. Stay safe and stay healthy out there. Bye for now.